0: Morning everyone, my name is Ben, I'm one of the elders of the church here and I'm, i am had the privilege of answering this question, what is God like? It's a very um, simple question in many ways, if you were to meet someone for the first time, then it's a pretty obvious question to ask, is it, tell me about yourself? So it's not a surprise maybe that many people in Chesington were asking questions about the character and nature of God himself and um, so that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, as we've just seen in the video, we uh, can see uh, right across the world, 22 different countries different views and opinions on what God is like. But today, we want to find out from, from the Bible what the Bible says God is like. So let me just pray as we come to the word of God in that way. Father God, we, we thank you that you have revealed to us your word. We thank you that we can trust it, that it's true. And Lord, as we look into it now, we pray that by your spirit you would speak to us, you would open our eyes to, to see you more clearly so that we might know what you're like. But as well, Lord, I'm aware that as I preach, as I've prepared these words, I, I feel like a man holding up a candle to demonstrate the sun. But I just feel like my words are inadequate. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come, you would enlighten your word, and that your glory would shine on the hearts of all the people who are here today. Lord, reveal yourself for your glory, we pray. Amen. I wonder how you might answer the question, what is God like? Maybe you've come here today and you have one of these different views of God in your mind. Maybe you you kind of think of him like like a Greek God, a bit like Zeus who lives on top of a mountain, throws thunderbolts at people, fights with other gods, and you know what? He's a bit cranky like us. Or maybe you think God is an evil despot at the root of all terrorism in the world. Maybe you think God is a cosmic policeman. You know, kind of, looking out at every detail of your life, trying to point out all the wrong things you do to make you feel bad about yourself. Someone who restricts your freedom. Maybe you see God as a vague, impersonal force out there somewhere in the universe in energy, peace and love and harmony and all those kind of things. Maybe you think God is cruel and he rolls the dice with our lives and punishes us when we do things that he doesn't like. Maybe you think God is a dull grandfather with a beard on a cloud. Maybe you think God is a cosmic narcissist who demands that we worship him regardless because of his inflated ego. If your view of God is any of these, then I've got good news for you today. That is not the God that is revealed in the Bible. In fact, if that is the God that, that, that I believed in, I wouldn't be here today. If God was any of those things, I wouldn't come to church. If you would have avoided church because of any of those ideas of God, you don't need to worry anymore because God isn't like that. God is very, very different. God is not like the caricatures we make of him. But before we really try and answer the question, what is God like? We've really got to ask ourselves another question, and that's this. How could we possibly know? I mean, think about it for a second. How can we know what God is like? How is is that even possible? You know, the God of the Bible is not something somewhere tucked away in some corner of the universe that we can find and capture or stick in a box or measure or weigh. He isn't somewhere that we can... There isn't a place on the earth that we can go find him. He's not in a place. Although he's everywhere in one sense... You can't measure him. He's transcendent. Science has no concepts for being able to understand what God is like. In fact, the reality is, unless God reveals himself to us, unless God shows up and says, here I am, we would never find him. God is far bigger than all of those things. It's kind of like an ant trying to relate to an elephant. I guess an elephant doesn't pay much attention to an ant. Think about God, who is so much bigger than that, and we are so much smaller than ants in comparison to God. Why would he want to reveal himself to us? The the truth is, a a better analogy than the ant and the elephant is probably thinking about Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Think about it for a second. Frodo is is a wonderful character written in a wonderful book, Okay, but, but the reality is, Frodo has no clue who J.R.R. Tolkien is, does he? he? He won't wake up one day and figure out what Tolkien's like by, 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 by looking around him. He, he won't even have the thought in his mind. Why not? Because Tolkien didn't write it into the story. And if we want to understand what God is like, if we want to know him, the only hope we've got is if God writes himself into our story. If he tells us what he's like. And that is what we're going to be doing this morning. The good news is that God has revealed what he's like. And, and Hebrews is just one of the places in the Bible that God tries to help or helps us to see the reality of who he is. So let's take a look at what God is like from the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. The first thing I want us to see here is what is God like? Well... He speaks. Look at verse 1 again. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. The first thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to see is that God is a speaking God. He spoke to prophets in the Old Testament. People in the past, God spoke his message to. It was written down and it was, it was placed in the Bible for us to read. God spoke and we get to read his words, think his thoughts after him. He spoke in a variety of ways. There are many, many different books in the Bible filled with, they're written by very different types of prophets with different personalities, with different ways of of, of expressing things. There's poetry, there's law, there's story, there's narrative, there's there's prophecies. There's all these kind of things in the Bible, uh, different ways in which God's spoken to his people. God spoke in a variety of ways. But one of the things I want us to see most of all is that, that the reason God speaks, the reason God has spoken so much through history in his word is because he is a personal God who wants to be known. God wants us to find him. God wants us to hear his voice. God wants us to know what he's like. God wants us to have a relationship with him. The real God of, of the Bible Wants us to know him. And, and so he has spoken. But then it goes on. And it says. In, the sec- in, in, um, chapter t- in verse 2. But in these last days. He has spoken to us by his son. So there is a way. That God has spoken in the past. And there is a way God has spoken now. In these last days. Now. What, what, what last days. What this term means here. Is, is that from the moment. Um, Jesus went up to heaven, right to the end of time, that's the last days. All of that period of human history, in these last days, and we're in that time now, God has spoken to us by his son. God has been revealing himself to creation, and now he has had his final say on the matter. The the, the clearest thing he's ever going to say on the nature of who he is and what he's like, and it's this. It's his son. He's not going to add to it. No more revelations to come to, to add to the prophecies of the Old Testament. Nothing that's going to add more to the knowledge of who he is on top of his word. On top of his revelation through his son. Jesus is God's final word on the matter. And this is really important for us to see. Because it doesn't matter who we want God to be. It doesn't matter who we think he is. What matters is who he reveals himself to be, who he really is. I don't know if you've seen either of the versions of the film Stepwood Wives. Have any of you seen that film? It's, uh, I haven't seen the original one, but I saw the, the, the remake a few years ago. It's an interesting story. It's, a, it's, it's about a gated community in, in the heart of America where all the wealthy American men go to live with their wives. And... Um, the, the, the men live pretty drab lives because the women just will not do what they tell them to do. And the women boss them around all the time. So what they do is they get a computer chip and they place it in their wife's brain. So their wife will only do as they command, as they say. So the men have, have all, play all the golf and the women do all the work and all this kind of stuff. So they have basically shaped their wives into robot versions of themselves. And it all falls apart. Because you can't have a relationship with a robot, can you? You can't have a relationship with a robot. You see, you can um, fashion an idea of God in your own mind that you feel comfortable with, who never challenges you or offends you. But you can't have a relationship with a God you've made up. You can't know personally a God who you know doesn't exist because you've invented him in your mind. He can't comfort you. He can't be with you. He can't help you because he's not real, because he's your imaginary friend. So the the, the question that, that comes out from this is, God has the final say on who he is. And it's shown most clearly in his son. And it doesn't matter what we make of it. What matters is who he says he is. Do you have a Stepford God, one who can challenge you, one who can shape you, one who can mould you, or have you moulded God into your image? We have a God who speaks and who reveals Himself. But what, what the wonderful the reason why this is good news is because God's final say to us is He doesn't give us an argument or a philosophy or a mathematical equation to understand who he is he doesn't give us a, even a, a theological idea ultimately what he gives us is a person and that person is Jesus and that's the second thing I want us to focus on what is God like? well God is like his son but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son the son of God God with us the incarnation that very thing that we've been celebrating over Christmas you might might not know it but that's what we celebrate that God came to be with us in Jesus Christ that God left the glories of heaven and was born in a stable and laid in a manger and grew up in Nazareth in Israel we have this story of of, of the one who became like us so that we might know him now here we have to we have to stop for a moment just pause to think about the idea of what christians call the trinity that the nature of god how god reveals himself in the bible is to be father son and holy spirit not three gods but one god revealed in three persons all equally god all equally powerful but distinct now, I'm not going to pretend that I have got my head around the concept of the Trinity. and You don't need to get your head around it either this morning, fully and finally. But I, I do want us to, just to throw this in here for a second and say, if God shows up, if God shows up and reveals himself and was to tell you the very nature who he is, do you really think you could wrap your head around it? Do you really think you could understand it? Do you really think there's a way in which God could, could explain to us the intricacies of, 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 of who he is to, to that, to that, that will satisfy all of our questions? No, the best way God has given us is to help us to see him as the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here in Hebrews, he hold, the author holds up the Son, Jesus, so that we might see God. You see, God didn't just send a message God became the message so that we could see him. And when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, you get a real picture for what God is like. We're told that he is Jesus in this passage in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. That means when you look at Jesus in the Bible you get a description, an accurate description of the character and nature of God. You get to see what God is like. When Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, show us the Father, that would be enough for us. This is how Jesus responds in John 14 verse 9. You want to see the Father? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time... Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, you look at me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. So we can ask all these kind of questions about God. How would God treat the weary and the burdened? Well, we're told in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest in Matthew 11 verse 28 that's how he treats the weary and burden how would God deal with a woman caught in adultery when everybody else wants to, to cast stones at her Jesus says "I do not, neither do I condemn you go and leave your life of sin he has compassion how does God feel when he looks at a world of despair and sickness well when Jesus saw the crowds we're told in Matthew 9 verse 36 he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on the helpless and the sick and those in despair. How does God people deal with religious and proud people? Well, we're told in Matthew 23, verse 27, this is how Jesus responds to the Pharisees Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You were like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside you were full of bones and dead of everything and unclean. How does God treat those who run away from him and who want to return? Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He wants to find them. And John... The youngest of Jesus' disciples who wrote some of the most amazing words about him. In the the beginning of his gospel, he describes Jesus in this way. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And the two words he wants to sum him up with. Full of grace and truth. The people who walked with Jesus on this earth, who wrote down about his life, were so in awe of the way he lived that they they saw the glory of God in his life and in his attitude. To know what God is like, you must look at Jesus. But Jesus was more than just a man, as I'm sure you're aware. But we're told in Hebrews so much about him. We're told that um, he is the one whom whom God has appointed heir of all things at the end of verse 2, through whom he also made the universe. Jesus created all things that were created. Get your head around that for a second. All the stars and endless reaches of space. I mean, the universe and galaxies go on for, I don't know, for for as close to infinity as we can get. We can't create telescopes fast enough, that are big enough, that that can reveal the edges of the universe. But Jesus made all of those things. He made every atom in the whole of the cosmos. Every atom, every molecule that makes up everything. From the top of Mount Everest, 9,000 meters in the air, to the bottom of the Pacific Rim, the Mariana Trench, 11,000 meters down, all land, all water, all wind, all energy, all natural resources, all nations, all military might, all buildings, all bacteria, all viruses, all angels, all demons, everything spiritual and material, he made This is the God to whom we come. Jesus made everything except for the Father. I think it's important. One of the questions that was asked was who made God? Well, the Christian response to that is this. God didn't need to be made. God made everything that was made, but he wasn't made. So he didn't need a maker. Jesus didn't make God, but Jesus made everything else. Think about this for a second. You and I, from nothing, can create nothing. You know, we couldn't, if we put all of our human resources together, if we pulled all of everything we've got together, you and I couldn't make a tiny speck of dust out of nothing. We can't do that. But Jesus made everything out of nothing. Jesus didn't just make everything out of nothing. We're told here that he maintains everything. But in the second half of verse three, he's sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know what that means? That means he's sustaining the stars in the sky. He's, he's maintaining the, the orbit of the moon. He's, he's maintaining all those things, sustaining them by his powerful word. But it also means he's sustaining you and I right now. Every molecule in your body is being held there by the will of the sun. The brains which you're using to think about this message right now, your ears that are are working as I speak, are being maintained by the creator of the universe, by the son, by the the son of God. It's the only way you can hear me now. It's the only way you can comprehend any of the things that are coming out of my mouth, because he is sustaining us. And the reality is, And I think this is mostly where we come unstuck when we think about this question of who God is. Is that if this is the true God, then there are consequences for us. There are consequences for us. You and I are accountable to Him, we belong to Him. He made every one of us, He holds our existence in His hands, yet we live often as if we maintain our own existence and as if we're kings of the universe. We live as if we are our own gods. And why do we do this? Because ultimately, we don't want to be accountable to God or to anyone. Maybe you've heard of a philosopher called Aldous Huxley he was a, a, a very famous philosopher who, who shaped much of the thinking of the world we live in today. And he says this, and this it's quite a hard quote, but just try and listen carefully, and I'll, I'll encapsulate it at the end. I had motive for not wanting the, the world to have meaning. Consequently, I assumed that it had none, and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reason for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem of pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants, or why his friends shouldn't seize political power or govern in the way that they want and find most advantageous for themselves. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of my liberation, sexual and political. Let me explain what he's saying there. What he's saying there is, I don't not believe in God or meaning in the universe because I was because I was convinced by it. I don't believe in God because I didn't want to be accountable to a God, and so I look for reasons not to. And he's been incredibly honest here. How many of us have been so honest? This is incredibly honest. He's is he's, he's not unbiased in his belief. He is incredibly biased, bent towards his own will, bent towards what he wants to do. It's not that God hasn't spoken, it's that he intentionally doesn't want to listen. And this is the philosophy that undergirds so much of our society today. Can you be that honest? The reality is, when we're speaking about a God who is so big and so holy and so perfect and so good and glorious we've been singing about this morning a God who holds all of our molecules together who's making sure we're sitting in our seats this morning and listening when we're speaking about a God of that size who sees everything who knows everything when we sin we don't ever sin privately I think often we think that we sin in some private little corner on our own that nobody else can see and it's just about us and nobody else and that kind of thing's okay. But the reality is, at that moment, God is maintaining our existence. The hand that we use to steal, God is maintaining its existence. The mouth that we use to lie, God is maintaining his existence. The the mind and body and things that we use to hurt other people, God is maintaining their existence. There's no secret sin. There is no hidden sin from the almighty God. He sees all. You can't take your sin around him. You can't hide your sin beneath him. The reality is all of our sin must go through him. He holds it together. He sees it all. We always sin in spite of the God who made us. Whether we're aware of it or not, that's what's happening. We're accountable to him. When we see God, the reality is we can then start to see ourselves. As we gaze at the grace and truth and selflessness and beauty of Jesus, we can start to see the crass lies, selfishness and ugliness of our own hearts. As important as it is to know what God is like, we also need to hear what the Bible says about how God views what we are like. Let me read to you from Psalm 14. This is God's description of the whole world. Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there is anyone who understands, anyone who seeks after God. But they have all turned away, all have come, become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And that includes me. That includes me. You see, it doesn't matter what you think of God. What matters most right now is what he makes of you. What does he make of you? See, one day we're told in in the Bible that he will judge the world according to his righteousness. He's not going to judge the world according to our standards. How we do, you know, we look at other people and we, we see that we're not all that bad. We're told that he will judge the world by his righteousness and his standards. And the reality is eternal life or eternal punishment hang in a balance. Every evil deed, thought or word is held accountable to his standard. How would you fare this week? How would you fare this past month? How would you fare this last year how would you fare in your life friends you and i are in the same boat and we need a savior but praise god the third thing i want us to see is what is god like he saves sinners second half of verse three we're told after he had provided purifications for sin he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven What sinners need most is to be made pure by Jesus. And that's what Jesus has provided. How did he make purifications for our sins? Well, on the cross, Jesus was punished for our sin. See, all of God's anger and wrath, righteous anger and wrath against our wickedness was focused on one point in history, on one person in history, all of that on Jesus So much so that the Bible tells us, describes it this way, that for our sake, he became sin. It was as if Jesus, the one who'd done no wrong, actually became sin at that moment. It was so intense. God's wrath was poured upon him, focused upon him. The father turns his back on the son. Why? So that he wouldn't need to turn his back on us. So that he wouldn't need to. So that he could... Look to us when we come to him for forgiveness. No mere human being could bear that punishment. No mere human being could could take what God held upon his shoulders. That is why it's so important that we know that Jesus is the God-man. Fully God and fully man. Able to die in our place, but able to bear the weight of our sin. All that was needed to be done to save you and I was done. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus died on a cross and then he rose to life again three days later. And he is still alive today, sitting in heaven, making sure that all of his plans and purposes will be fulfilled. The son of God, who is the heir of the universe, who's in control of all things, will make sure his plans will be fulfilled. That all the people that he seeks to save will be saved. There is none who will come to Jesus who will find him incapable of being at being their saviour, he can save you. He's the divine Son, all powerful. He is mighty enough to save you. There is nothing that you could do that can that can keep him away, uh, keep um, keep you away from him. If you just turn to him in, in repentance and and, and 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 ask for forgiveness, he has made purification for sin. It's it's been done. All you need to do is come to Jesus today. Are you a non-Christian today? And do you feel your guilt? Do you understand that, that weight before God? Well, Jesus says, all who will come to him will find forgiveness. All who come to him will be forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm a great sinner, but I have a great savior. Jesus is a great enough savior to rescue you. God knows what you've done. He sustained your life while you've done it. And why has he done that? So that you could hear this message today and so that you can come to Jesus for forgiveness. Please, please come to Jesus today. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and you've never put your trust in Jesus for salvation. Maybe you've been brought up in this church and coming to church every Sunday just become a normal part of your life. Let me plead to you today, come to Jesus. He is so far, he's been so gracious to you. He's been maintaining you for years so that you may come and hear his word over and over and over again. But there's no guarantee he'll give you another chance next week. How many times have you sat and heard the gospel and done nothing about it? How many opportunities to come to Jesus have you wasted? Please, I beg you, come to Jesus today. Maybe you're not convinced by anything that I've said. Let me, let me ask you to do something. Why don't you take a gospel from the back of the hall and, and read the words of Jesus for yourself. Hear his voice in your own ears, in your own head. You know, it, have you really read the Bible? Have you really sought the, his truth? He has spoken. Please listen. Please take a gospel. Please consider coming next week and hearing more Um, from the bible and we have a course starting in february and i'd love for you to come to that as well please do come to these things what is god like well he speaks he wants us to know him he's like his son full of grace and truth and wonderfully he saves sinners because he is a great savior please come to jesus today if you would like to You can come and talk with me after the service. I'm gonna be down here and I'd love to speak to you about about knowing Jesus more. There'll be um, people here who can pray for you as well. We'd love to do that. If you don't wanna talk to me, nudge the friend in which you came with. Nudge your mum or dad. Tell them you'd like to receive Jesus. Come and be, be prayed for. Let me pray for you now. Oh, Father God, we come before you humbly just acknowledging just for a moment again and afresh who you are how awesome are your deeds O oh Lord how far beyond us are, are your, is your understanding how, how amazing is your character, how wonderful are your ways we thank you Father that you want to speak to us and that you've revealed yourself clearly through your son And I do pray that your Holy Spirit will be working amongst us now and you'll be drawing people to know you Let's be known by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.